Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Carson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. Our top story this week is the state of the presidential nominating contest, nearly a week after Iowa and only days before New Hampshire votes in the nation's first primary. Now, last week on the show, I predicted that in Iowa, Clinton would win by 1% over Sanders and that Trump would beat Cruz by 3%. Jay, on the other hand, said that he thought Cruz would win by a nose over Trump and that Clinton would beat Sanders by 5 to 7%. And what actually happened was fairly close to what we predicted, at least if you went by Jay's picks for his team, that would be the Republicans, and my picks for my people, the Democrats. Now, Ted Cruz, as most of you know, I'm sure, scored a surprising 3% win over Trump, while Hillary Clinton eked out the narrowest of victories over Bernie Sanders. So, Jay... What do you make of what happened in Iowa? Well, other than other than I'm I'm brilliant. <laughs> uh, no, I, I I I'll tell you I was surprised actually by uh, the uh, Cruz margin of victory. I thought it would have been closer. It would have been the uh, the Cruz just by a nose, uh, and I underestimated uh, Bernie Sanders. Um, you know, and I think you know we've talked for a while also about part of the the game isn't so much even the winning; it's the meeting or exceeding expectations. And uh, I think uh, Cruz and Sanders both exceeded expectations, uh, and and that's that's a, a big thing. I think I think Rubio also exceed, exceeded expectations. The most, I would say, which is why, uh, yeah. if you listen to his speech after, essentially Rubio gave a victory speech for coming in third, uh, right? Which is not right. something you hear every day, certainly. But again, you know, if if you understand the game correctly, that that uh, you know this is this is a very preliminary contest, and it's. Yeah, it's it's almost like it's sort of like a reality show. Um, well, you know, as Donald Trump might might enjoy, but you know, look, you start with whatever twenty some contestants, and every week somebody's going to get sent home. Yeah, um, and Iowa certainly, you know, yeah, Iowa called the herd. And it's one of those. Doubt. If you're not one of the ones sent home, then it's it is still sort of a victory. Yeah. So now all of a sudden we're at least on the Republican side. I mean, it's different when you're you're down to two candidates like the Democrats yeah. are, but. It was, it was a bigger herd on the Republican side, yeah. and now we're now now we're sad to see. I don't know if we're sad to see, but I'm sad to see Rand Paul go because he represented a a different strand of of thought in the Republican Party. And 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 we've talked before. I've talked before on the on the show that there are some things I really like about Rand Paul, and and now he's now he's gone uh, along with Rick Santorum and Mike Huckabee. The the last two winners of the Iowa caucuses, and I won't miss either of those guys even. Right. And that, that also bit. gives you a little bit of an indication of what Iowa means in the long term. Um, exactly. Yeah. So, and then on the, on the, on the democratic side, of course, Martin O'Malley uh, quit. And, and certainly Martin O'Malley really didn't have much of a shot. Anyway, ended his bizarre quest for the nomination, I guess. But, you know, your point about the delegates really, that I think gets underreported. So Iowa's important in a sense to kind of get the ball rolling, maybe momentum, that sort of thing. But if we step back a little, which I think the media is horrible at doing, but let's step back a little. On the Republican side, to win the nomination, you need 1,237 delegates. So That's a lot of delegates. That is a lot of delegates. How many delegates did the winner in Iowa get on the Republican side? Ted Cruz, he got eight delegates. Yeah. Yeah, eight and – 
who you know Trump and Rubio seven and seven apiece. Carson has three. Jeb Bush, Fiorina, Kasich, and well, Rand Paul now have one apiece. So that's a that's an incredibly long way to go. And so in terms of you know who's going to win the who's going to win the uh, nomination? Iowa doesn't tell us a whole heck of a lot. And you know it's the same thing on the Democratic side, really. If we look at the Democratic side, you need twenty three hundred eighty two delegates to win. Now Hillary Clinton has twenty nine delegates. Bernie Sanders has twenty one of those delegates. Yeah. So well, and I think I'm I'm certainly not the first person to to say this, um, but it, it's sort of the conventional wisdom type thing of Iowa doesn't pick winners; it picks losers. Yeah. Um, meaning, meaning it's, it's sort of, it weeds out, uh, the, uh, the folks who aren't going to be in it for the long haul and, and New Hampshire does some, or New Hampshire does something similar. So yeah, I think as delegate count goes, no, this isn't a big deal. And we don't really, that doesn't really start to become a big deal until we get to uh, the super Tuesday States, uh, about a month from now. Right. Right. So was, was there anything in the results that, that surprised you particularly aside well, from, you know, Cruz, uh, a Cruz winning and Rubio overperforming? Um, no, I mean, I think that's, that was really how I saw things breaking out in, in terms of, uh, Cruz having the ground game and having that sort of plan from everything I've read. Um, uh, again, Trump has, has not done much investment in terms of ground game, getting out the vote. Uh, even in New Hampshire, and it's still sort of just relying on the, you know, hey, I'm Donald Trump, um, and, you know, that sort of automatic name recognition. Uh, but in these these primary states, especially Iowa, where it's where it's sort of a baroque sort of uh, procedure and strange rules and um, that kind of thing, uh, the ground game it turned out is is uh, extremely important. Um, Here- New Ham- New Hampshire being a more traditional straight ahead primary state. Um, turnout's still important, but it's, it's, it's not the challenge that, uh, that Iowa is. I guess the other thing that surprised me, of course, on the Democrat side is Hillary winning her six straight coin tosses, um, other delegates. Um, I gotta say for, for the Trump thing, what really amazes me is if you take a look at the amount of money Trump is spending on his campaign, it's a lot less than the other candidates. Uh, I saw a, po- a report from Politico saying that. And it's mostly on hats. Yeah, you know, more on hats than on voter analytics and so forth. And the thing that amazes me is he came in a, a strong second in Iowa and he came with no with, you know, with no ground game, essentially. Uh, he hates to do voter stuff. He hates to actually talk with people one on one. He'd much rather harangue and so forth. And, you know, it amazes me that, you know, he's clearly going to win New Hampshire. We'll get to that in a minute. He's way ahead in the national polls. Think how think what he'd be doing if he actually tried. I mean, he's 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 half trying. He took a snow day a couple of days ago. He just yeah. did. I mean, it 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 boggles the mind. He's he's kind of casually going about this in a sense compared to these other guys, and he is he is doing incredibly well. That, that's well, a little scary to me. I've you know I you know I've talked to people, and I've I've thought this a little bit myself too. Is that um, Trump might might well be as surprised by all this as everyone else was. He kind of went into it saying, oh, what the hell, I'll run for exactly. president. Exactly, what the hell, I'll run for president, I'll go around and make some speeches and, you know, and so forth. And Sell a bunch of copies of The Art of the Deal. Exactly, it'll it'll be fun and uh, and so forth. And, and then all of a sudden, um, this happened. Uh, you know, obviously, I don't I don't know for sure, but but there is sort of a, the sense that, 
uh, you know, did he put together the team to win, you know, to begin with? I don't know. I mean, it's so, <clears throat> but you know, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Um, you know, and any thoughts on your your side about about the Hillary six well, straight coin tosses? Well, the coin tosses, you know, these things happen. It's you know, kind of a random chance sort just of thing. Lucky, just lucky, just like the just, cattle futures. Just lucky, you know. But the thing that really did surprise me in the no hint of some sort of satanic bargain there. I mean, it's no, I, I don't think so. But I, the thing that did surprise me is the extent of the difference in the young voter uh, turnout, not so much the turnout, but uh, how how strongly they broke for Sanders. I think I saw something like a, in voters ages 17 to 29, Sanders beat Clinton by 70 percentage points. Yeah. I mean, it, it's so, it's so clear. There's such a clear break. There's such a clear distinction between these two people. Uh, Hillary Clinton isn't going to excite anyone who's idealistic. You know, she's she's not she's 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 the past. And it's weird because, you know, Bernie Sanders is this cranky old guy. But but pretty clearly he he strikes a chord in idealistic people. And some people have said, you know, Bernie Sanders is kind of like the liberal equivalent of or the Democratic equivalent of Donald Trump. And I think there's really something to that. They both hit this populist idealist streak that that gets people excited. And it, well, I, I might I might even say I go farther back. I would say that uh, Bernie Sanders is the liberal equivalent of, say, a Barry Goldwater. Yeah. I, you know, I think there's I think there's something to that. And there were a lot of young people who you know, flocked to Goldwater. In fact, wasn't, uh, in fact, wasn't Hillary. Hillary Clinton a Goldwater? <laughs> yes, it was a Goldwater girl. Uh, exactly. Back in the day. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think that's a good thing. I think it's a healthy thing. Back in the day when I was 20 something person, you remember I was a, a fire I think breathing. You had a Goldwater t-shirt. You know, I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised. I was a fire breathing conservative, uh, eager to roll back communism and, you know, take it to them and so forth. And I think that's good. That health, that's healthy, that kind of passion. It concerns me if you're like that when you're in your forties, but I think when you're young, <laughs> that's a great thing to see that enthusiasm. And then you get older and then you realize that some of that stuff is just insane if it actually happened. But that, that enthusiasm, that idealism, I love that, whether it comes from the right or the left. I think it's a well, wonderful I, you know, thing. I, th I think part of the, the idealism maybe that, that fades a little bit with experience is, uh, is your sense of what is possible for government to do yeah, uh, and, and what yeah. isn't. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I think uh, uh, sometimes when you're, when you're in your 20s, you sort of look to uh, the great leader or, or someone who's going to come along and uh, will change everything. Um, and then it, it, you realize that things, things change very slowly. Yeah. If at all. Um, and that's all. actually and, a and, good and that's, thing. And, that's, yeah. and again, and, and that's uh, the, the power of any one person uh, to really uh, make, you know, the kind of changes that are revolutionary yeah. uh, is sort of limited. And, and that's a good thing. Again, uh, yeah, absolutely. Mind. Well, one thing, although on, on the, Hillary uh, on the Bernie Sanders uh, victory speech uh, and at his his uh, sort of rally, there were groups of people chanting Hillary lies. Well, and sure, that struck me as 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 funny. And again, you know, I don't want to uh, take one little isolated incident of a couple wound up supporters and and blow it up into something that it's not. But I thought that was that was unusual. Uh, it's not just an our guy one, right? Uh, it's not just an ideological thing, but it, it's a, a backlash uh, against uh, her and the, the ethical issues there. And I thought that was that was sort of telling. And, and I guess time will time will tell how how 
big a deal it is. Is right. that really a factor for those going for Sanders? Uh, or is it just the idealistic, um, he's going to get rid of banks and Wall Street and give us free stuff? Yeah, um, yeah. Same thing, but... You know, one other thing I'll mention before we move on to, to New Hampshire is the uh, the issue about Ted Cruz's dirty tricks in Iowa. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but essentially yeah, yeah. Uh, great. It's, it's an interesting story, at least, uh, how essentially right before the caucuses, the Cruz people had a coordinated uh, a media, I guess you could call it attack, a, a story saying that Ben Carson was going to be suspending his campaign. Right. And, uh, of course, Ben Carson was doing nothing of the sort, and they justified that by saying, well, he did say he was going to go back to Florida for a little bit. Yeah, Yeah. and so that was suspending his campaign. And, of course, the idea was to try to get some of those Carson voters, the more strongly evangelical people, to vote for Cruz. And once Donald Trump found out about it, he freaked out, called for a new caucus, said said that uh, Ted Cruz was was cheating. And, you know— in a way, I, I don't say this very often, I kind of agree with Trump. It was totally disingenuous. <laughs> it was it was right up to the line of being, you know, that the, the Cruz spokespeople said, well, he did say he was suspending right. in a sense, but everyone knows what suspending means. And, of course, this kind of thing goes on all the time. The Cruz campaign copped to it, but, you know, they apologized with big, big deal after the fact. But this is the kind of thing, I think, that makes people hate politics so much. You know, yeah, this is- no, it was it's, it's dirty pool. <clears throat> um, that said, it's it's something that happens uh, a lot. I mean, again, you and I are both uh, uh, sports fans, football fans. Um, and, and we sort of both know there's plenty of, you know, sort of pushing and shoving outside that that doesn't get called and it's sort of, if you can get away with it, you do it. Um, and this is one of those cases. Now I think Cruz is, is paid a little bit of a price for it. Um, in some other polls in in New Hampshire, uh, that that sort of strikes people as, Hey, that is sort of dirty pool. Um, and we'll, we'll see what, what effect it has. I mean, to my mind, did it, did it fundamentally change the Outcome of Iowa? No, uh, I don't think so. Uh, did it maybe help him a little bit? Yeah. Uh, if he hadn't done that, would have my would my prediction have been exactly right on? Yes, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, <laughs> but, we can uh, we can both agree on that. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. But still, let, let's let's move on to New Hampshire. I mentioned earlier we're only days away from that primary, and probably by the time a lot of our listeners have checked out the podcast, it would already been over. So. Just like we did last week for Iowa, uh, let's make our predictions and, and I think more importantly, talk about what we think will happen or what we think will happen, why it will happen. I, I just confused myself, but you know what I'm saying, I hope. Yes. Anyway, and, and more importantly, most importantly, how much all of it matters. So let, let's start with you, Jay. Uh, who do you like in New Hampshire and why do you like him? Um, Trump's going to win in New Hampshire uh, because, uh, first of all, it's sort of the you know Northeast, his own backyard. Uh, it's, it's, uh, ground game is less important there. It's still important. Um, but I think, uh, uh, New Hampshire also has a strong, um, we'll call it, I guess, sort of a libertarian, uh, contrarian kind of streak. Uh, for example, again, I, I mentioned a couple times, you know, Pat Buchanan won New Hampshire, uh, in 92. Um, so, so I think, I think there's, there's that that's, that's in there that, uh, um, He'll he'll do well for for those reasons. And what, what, uh, what would you do, say percentage wise? What do you think his margin of victory is going to be there? 
I think he will he will win the the primary there by I'm gonna I'm gonna say seven to ten. Okay. Which is narrower than than the polls were predicting. Right. Okay. So I still think he's not gonna do as do as well as the sort of these national polls do because of the turnout factor, but I think he'll still win. Over 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 a uh, Ted Cruz will be second. Um, I think Marco Rubio will not be far behind. Uh, I think John Kasich may well beat Marco Rubio and come in third. Okay. Wow. And that's, that is my, uh, yeah. Cause, and again, that's, that's, I mean, part of that might maybe, um, a little bit of my, my personal emotion, I guess, uh, you know, I'm an Ohio guy and supporting the, you know, the Ohio team and so forth. Um, okay. but Kasich has been working New Hampshire really hard. Yeah, absolutely. And he's been consistently pretty good in the polls there. He 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 said last <clears throat> now, week. I mean, recently Rubio got a bump up after Iowa. Um, yeah, he said. Well, Kasich but, said last week that if I get smoked in New Hampshire, I'm going home. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the direct quote. And so, yeah, I I think he's put an awful lot into that. Obviously, so has Christie. And so my picks are uh, not terrifically different from yours on the on the. Republican side. I think that Trump's going to win by 11% over Rubio. Uh, and I think Kasich, I, I think, I hope, I don't know, Kasich's going to be a strong third. Uh, that's that's my prediction on that. But I don't think anyone questions that Trump's going to win. It's just going to be the size of the victory. And I think right. actually, if he wins by less than 10%, that's going to be seen as underperforming because right now he's up by around 16. And, uh, and yeah. so I, I, I don't, I, I think that this is going to kind of reestablish Trump after faltering a little bit in Iowa. He looks good in South Carolina going forward and some other states. So it certainly, you know, some people were calling for, hopefully maybe calling for Trump's demise after thinking it might be the end of Trump after Iowa. But no, that's not. No, not no, the no. Case no. I, I, I don't. So I don't think that's the case. I and, think he's, we still got a way to go. But well, one other thing. No, to, I, uh, so before we get to the Democrats, one other thing to point out on the Republican side, you know, the Republicans had their had their, geez, I don't know what debate it is now. They've debate, been debating forever, but they had a debate on Saturday night. And it was it was kind of an interesting debate because, uh, you know, normally the debates focus on Donald Trump, but really Donald Trump was not the main character here. This was kind of like everyone ganging up on Marco Rubio, especially Chris Christie, who came at yeah. him really, really hard is that he's called him the boy in the bubble, essentially, and just saying that, listen to him. He has these 20-second memorized speeches, and that's all you're going to get from him. And and I think that really hit home because my sense is that Rubio was trying to be presidential and above the fray, being to put himself out there as the obvious choice for the non-lunatic candidate. And yet, I think there's a line between coming off as presidential above the fray and coming off as uh, disconnected and kind of robotic. And Rubio doesn't have that down. And I, Christie was pointing out, I think, something that bothers a lot of folks about Rubio, that he's too slick, that there's like he's like kind of like an Obama of the of the right. Well, he, yeah, he tends he tends to lack in, in spontaneity. I yeah, think absolutely. Is probably the best way to put it. Um and I've, I read some other stuff recently where, again, he was he was compared as the Republican Obama, um, and that Which was is that not was a label you want. Says, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> another uh, writer who who said, "Well, yeah, but who's sitting in the Oval Office right now?" Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, the, so it, you know, it, it might not that be side. that might not be such a bad thing to be called the Republican Obama. Yeah. Um, no, I think that the debate probably didn't help Rubio a whole lot, uh, but I, I don't know that it changes a whole lot in New Hampshire. Agreed. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know I mean, I think I think, yeah, he, he maybe changes, moves things a couple points one way or the other for him. Um, 
but I think otherwise New Hampshire sort of is is where it is already. Yeah. And and the, that debate, you know, late breaking probably isn't going to change a whole lot. Yeah, that that's my sense too. So let's move on to the Democrats, and I'll start with my picks first for the Democrats since they are my team, and I'm gonna. I'm going to say, unsurprisingly, that Sanders is going to win. He's going to win big, and I think he's going to win by around 12% over Clinton. I I think Sanders will win big, bigger. Bigger than I that. I say Sanders by 20%. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, that is impressive. I'm okay. going to go bold again. I went bold last week, and, and uh, it paid off, and I, I do. I think uh, uh, Sanders has the momentum. Sanders has the uh, sort of home field home field advantage uh, in New England, right? And, and there is also the the New Hampshire. I'll call it again, sort of a contrarian kind of streak. Um, and and I think that's gonna that's gonna show itself. Wow, that is that is that is a bold and impressive pick. I, I like it. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna stick. You know, with- you know the other thing, and also Hillary has not spent that much time in New Hampshire. Um, that's true. Uh, she's, she's, she's counting sort of on been, South Carolina and going forward and so forth. Exactly. She's sort of been writing it off. And, and, and I'm not going to say that's the wrong choice, you know, because we've said a million times, these early ones, how much do they really count? Not a whole lot. Um, but if you're asking me to pick New Hampshire, yeah, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say Bernie. You know, you know what, Jay, you, you've, you've inspired me in a way. I don't know. Uh, I'm feeling the burn a little bit. I, I'm going to, I'm going to change my prediction. Oh, you can't do you've that. Got, no, yeah, you've got, no, you've got, I changed, I, I think, I think it's fair. I, I'm the sort of person who, when evidence comes in or someone puts forth an argument that is compelling, I, I can change. I, I don't call, I don't think of that right. flip flop. I'm not going to, I'm not going to change by much, but I said Sanders by 12 over Clinton. I don't know. You've got me, you've got me feeling it. You're I'm going to go say, up to Sanders by like 15. I'm right? going to, that's exactly it. Yes, right. Sanders by 15. So you have Sanders. We'll see what happens. But, you know, and I think the debate that the Democrats had earlier this week was, was pretty interesting. A lot of the media said, well, now it's down to a two-person debate. It really pretty much was before then. O'Malley kind of ineffectually waving on the sidelines saying, um, hey, can you, you know, can I talk? Right. But, <laughs> but, you know, I think it was, I think it was interesting because Sanders and Clinton really do they're, they're really two so distinct candidates. And depending on what's more important to you, you know, if you're an idealist, you're obviously a Sanders supporter. If you're a pragmatist, you're obviously a Clinton supporter. If your main concern is income inequality, is Wall Street, is economic stuff, then you're going to go for Sanders. But if you're concerned about, you know, foreign policy much more, pretty clearly Hillary's your person. And, and, because that's their that's their strength that's their weaknesses. Bernie is focused like a laser on income inequality, Wall Street, and that he's great on that. You listen to him; he's full of fire, he's full of passion. But you get on the foreign policy, and he flounders. All he can say is, "I voted against the war," and then after that, it's just kind of a big mess. And Hillary's just the reverse. That whole thing about the Goldman, her response when asked about why she took. $675,000 for three speeches from Goldman Sachs was essentially, well, everyone does it. That's what they offered. And, you know, and people mock her for having, <laughs> yeah, for having no response. But, but the thing is, is she has no good response because there is no good response to that. And then she said something about, well, at the time, I didn't, I didn't know that I'd be running for president and everyone rolled their eyes. You <laughs> exactly. Know? That's yeah, wonderful. You know, she's known she'll be running for president since like ni- the 1990s or something like that. It's, it's a ridiculous thing. No one believes her. She's lying through her teeth on this and everyone knows it. And again, this is what gets the Bernie Sanders people so, so fired up. They know she's, 
She's full of it on this issue. They know she's a creature of Wall Street, just like her husband was, and just like President Obama is, essentially. And that's something Bernie Sanders kind of dances around, because he can't really say that, because he wants those Obama supporters to support him. But that's the truth. Sanders represents a fundamental break with reigning moderate democratic orthodoxy on financial stuff, which is kind of go along to get along. And there are a lot of young people who love that. You know. Right. Well, he's a break from from what has been. And we talked about this last week. Um, you know, Clinton sort of ratified Reaganomics in a way. Yeah. Um, and and sort of the the Democratic leadership uh, council, the sort of you know moderate uh, Democrat uh, uh, group that that uh, Bill Clinton and uh, and the, the Clintons came to came to sort of um, symbolize. Uh, which which was yeah they're going to be okay with uh, banks and Wall Street and so forth and uh, you know, my point is my answer to why would you take uh, money from Wall Street um, I, I think there could be a wonderful answer uh, if someone would say well listen because this is the marketplace that helps power our economy uh, this is this is the place where uh, you know money is allocated the various places this is what keeps us running this these are the banks that uh, fund our small businesses the, these are the companies that make up your grandma's pension fund. and, and This would uh, not be an answer head. to give on the Democratic side. I would side. completely the opposite way. And, of course, that, that's me, not, not Hillary. And I'm not running for the Democratic nomination. It's a good thing. It's a good <laughs> but, thing. You know, one great answer. There, there could be a good, a good answer to that. Well, I think a good answer to that question would have been yes. I took $675,000 for those three speeches, and I gave it to this charitable organization. Which would have been a great answer, except well, that she didn't do the, that. The you know? Foundation. Which, yeah, which, exactly. <laughs> no, no, no. Again, the the idea that she she took this money personally—that's something different than say just you get a lot of campaign contributions, obviously. Yeah. yeah so, um, um, and this but, is an but, yeah, I think you could still make the case of why Wall Street is an important constituency, uh, even if you you maybe don't like them, if you think they make too much money. Um, uh, the fact is that uh, uh, it's. It, I mean, again, at least coming from where I'm coming from, uh, I would I, let's put it this way: the fact that Hillary Clinton takes a lot of money from Wall Street makes me feel a little less concerned. About yeah, Hillary. I'm sure. Yeah, it makes me feel a little more. So, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. But, My 401k will be all right. Yeah. So, you know, let we have a little bit of time. It would be nice to talk about a non-campaign related story. Yes, please. So, let's so do let, that. let's do that. Is there's a story from this past week that I really wish had gotten more media attention. Uh, it was the recommendation by two senior military leaders that women be required to register for the draft. And I want to mention that one of these leaders was the commandant of my Marine Corps, which is the most male-dominated service and a service not at all known for its strong advocacy of women. Uh, a little bit of history here. Uh, the draft was ended in 1973, but then after the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan in 1980 – uh, they did it before we did. President Carter reinstated the draft, and he required all males between the ages of 18 to 26 to register with the Selective Service System. Now, at the we didn't really he didn't really reinstate the draft. He well, created Selective the Service registration. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Now, at that time, President Carter actually did ask Congress to allow women to register and serve, but Congress rejected that idea. Uh, so, well, what do you think about this, Jay? Do you think that women should have to register for the draft? This is this is one of these I'll tell you weird uh, conservative sort of issues again not not political conservative just cultural conservative just small c conservative um, it it bugs me a little bit oh yeah how come and, and it's it's hard to it's hard to put um, uh, hard to put a finger on it uh, because it is just sort of a a 
backwards, probably traditional uh, view of the world that I have. Little woman should be at um, home, barefoot and pregnant, that sort of thing in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, Is that what you absolutely. say? Absolutely. You, yeah, you, uh-huh. you hit the nail on the head. Um, no, it, it, it is a sense of, um, uh, there is, I think in our society, in most societies, I think in, in humankind in human history, there's sort of a sense of, uh, women being, and I'm going to be in trouble for this, uh, a weaker sex and, and ought to be protected and so forth. Mm-hmm. The idea that we would willfully, uh, again, this is different than, than allowing someone to serve, but willfully draft them and put them in harm's way, um, I find that troubling and it's sort of a, a very deep level and, I, and I'll, I'll very much admit to, uh, do I have any really good policy reason why that shouldn't be the case? No. Um, uh, but You're going I with your sometimes, gut. sometimes there are these, these deeper strains, uh, that we have. And, and part of this, I guess, sort of the conservative mindset is, uh, uh you ought to at least pay attention to those deeper strains, uh, of, of, you know, when you get these feelings of, I don't know if that's that's right. I mean, I, I guess I'm not saying that, that it shouldn't be done, but I'm saying it, it should have further examination. Hmm. Okay. I, I'm going to disagree with you on that. I, I, I don't have any problem with it. In fact, I think it's long overdue. I think especially now that uh, the, the ruling, the decision that women are able to serve in all combat positions, assuming they are physically qualified, which was made uh, late last year, I think there's no reason why women should get preferential treatment when it comes to this. In terms of service to the country and the military, I think that the the burden should be equally spread. I have no problem with women doing any job that men do that they are qualified to do, physically qualified. And so I I hope it happens. The White House has been sort of non-committal on it because I think they know that people feel a little funny about that, but I don't. And I'm, I'm with the not surprisingly, I'm with the Commandant of the Marine Corps, as I am on so many issues, uh, that I think that this should happen, and I hope it does happen sometime soon, though I don't necessarily think it will, especially not in an election year. Theor- theoretically, uh, saying that the actual draft were reinstated, uh, where you would get a postcard saying you've been drafted, uh, drop right. what you're doing, and, and uh, come down and, and yeah. uh, get yourself signed up. Yeah. Um, and again, the likeliness, likelihood of that happening is is pretty to low, mind. yeah. Uh, but but where does that leave leave our our military? I mean, would you would you want a fifty percent female military force? I think you know that that's an excellent question. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm certain there are people who be mad at me and I'll get in trouble for saying that. But you know, well, I think is, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I think that if uh, you know if you get to that point, obviously you draft people. Uh, into position, most of the positions when there is a draft are are combat positions and so forth. And so I think what you'd have to do is you'd have to draft people equally without regard, with you know randomly without regard for their for their gender. And then if people aren't qualified for certain positions, or if they you know there were certain just too many people in certain positions or too few, and so, so let's say a woman's drafted and the combat positions are all full and she isn't qualified for one of those things because of a physical issue, and just like with men who were drafted but were given a deferment because of physical you know, disqualifications, I think sure. it would work the same way. So I, I don't see any problems with it. I, I don't think it will ever be an issue, really, because I don't see us going to, uh, you know, to uh, any way from away from our all-volunteer force. But uh, just as a matter of fairness and equality, I think that women should have to have to register. All right. Okay. That's, that's a, weird, a weird thing. I'm not sure that, that puts you in the... 
you know, pro woman or anti woman camp camp there saying I'd like to think I'd like to think it puts me in the pro fairness. Camp. You're such a you're such a forward thinking feminist that you uh uh you think these these uh women who have just been coasting all along ought to ought to jump in and I finally am, start contributing. I, I am a feminist and I'm proud to say I'm a feminist. I don't have a problem with that at all. I'm not gonna I don't have a t shirt that says I'm a feminist, but I would I wouldn't wear well, one. I'll get I, you one. But... Yeah, I don't really believe in political statements on my t shirts, but if I did, I guess that might be one I'd be comfortable wearing. So okay, you know, before before we uh end the show today, I, there's one story from last week that I, I, I saw and I just loved it and it's kind of a local thing in a sense, not really a, kind of a local guy, but an Ohio guy, John Kasich, who I really think I'm hoping We'll, we'll be around for a little while. And one more reason for people, if, if you're in New Hampshire and you're listening, one more reason to vote for John Kasich. On an interview with CNN, he said that his all-time favorite concert was Pink Floyd's The Wall. Uh, and there, might, there should have been some follow-up drug questions maybe about that. But he said, if I'm president, I am going to once and for all try to reunite Pink Floyd to come together and play a couple of songs. Now, that to me is a <laughs> that to me is a great reason to vote for John Kasich. And, and I certainly would love to see Pink Floyd get back together for a couple of songs. What do you think, Jay? I'm, I'm all for it. Um, and I think it's, again, it, it shows a little bit of the Kasich personality too. And <clears throat> sitting as, as I sit here about five miles from the rock and roll hall of fame, um, uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> Ohio proud of our, our rock contributions. And, uh, if, if we can, uh, uh, Increase those contributions by having uh, President Kasich reunite uh, Floyd. That'd be great. I, I, no, uh, I, I, again, I mean, Sid Barrett is is gone. Uh, there's nothing you can do about that. Uh, but but the sort of from the yeah the 1970s uh, uh, Wall era Floyd, I suppose you could still get so did, uh, not, Roger Waters and. Um, do Do you um, think it was made as some kind of a crack against Donald Trump? I just realized that the Wall, you know, tear down the Wall and that I don't sort know of what thing. that is. It might be an anti-immigration. That might be a pro-immigration thing. That could actually hurt Kasich. I don't know. I haven't really seen. Well, any I don't know, but it sort of works on so many levels. It really does. Know? But in any case, I think. Again, John Kasich, about the only Republican that I feel like I could support, and I wish him the best in New Hampshire and going forward. Yep. So, all right. Well, then I think that's about all the time we have this week. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And if you have any thoughts, comments, or criticisms, or any questions for our Ask the Politics Guys podcast, which comes out every Wednesday, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. That's politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. Our Facebook page, where Jay and I post and comment on news articles throughout the week, and where you can comment, too, is facebook.com slash page. Check it out and yeah, give us a like. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would really appreciate it if you could take just a minute to rate the show and write a quick review. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.